0: Everybody, to Downton Gabby, Life After Downton Abbey, episode eight. We're going to be talking about one of our favorite shows, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, which is an amazing TV musical. And then we're going to be talking about musicals in general, especially in the light of the film La La Land being nominated for a record, what, 630 Oscar nominations? I think. Yeah, that's the exact count. Best yeah. animated short somehow. Um, <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. And I think we're gonna kick the podcast off with a little bit on Victoria, which just started. So I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm
1: Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon in Oakland. Before we go into any um, content here, I just want to say that we we Noticed but failed to acknowledge in any way that we passed our five-year podcasting anniversary. So it was January 14th, 2012 when our very first episode went up. I can't say that I recommend you go back and listen to it, but it does exist.
0: Okay, the audio quality is not ideal. But the conversation is sparkling. (laughs) Yes,
1: of course. Just real quick. So our very first episode was, um, of course, a season one recap of Downton Abbey before we started covering them episode by episode in season two. And I just want to read um, the description for the episode that we published, which was gushing about the Turk, all caps, One step away from becoming LARPers, planning our Matthew and Mary YouTube tribute video, and brainstorming porn adaptation names. So we really haven't evolved. (laughs) I mean, that could be a description of any episode, so... (laughs) I'm just
2: kind of sad we haven't gone back to the porn adaptations. I mean, I think we should really bring that back.
0: I just want to tell people that if they do want to relive those glory days of Downton Abbey and Downton Gabby, you can find all of our podcasts at downtongabbytumblrcom slash podcasts. They're all there for your enjoyment, or if you follow us on iTunes, they're also all there. So we just wanted to briefly mention the series Victoria about Young Queen Victoria, which is uh, in the Downton slot on Sunday nights on PBS right now. Um, I think I've been hearing about it for like two years, about how it's <laughs> yeah. going to be like, like the thing that's going to replace Downton in our hearts. So you know, I'm going to watch it. I mean, I'm a sucker for British costume drama, of course. And um, but, oh, man, it's a little boring.
2: Yeah, little boring, little repetitive. The costumes are wonderful. Um, you know, it's been really interesting watching this right after watching The Crown, because I would love to see Victoria do anything political. Um, we haven't seen her do anything. She's just kind of a silly teenage girl with an inconvenient crush. And um, and, a, and a terrible mother, you know, so I'd like to see her actually do something political and actually be powerful in some
0: way. Yeah, watching Victoria makes me really appreciate Julian Fellows. Really, like the, the depth of storytelling and character... Uh, and uh, the complexity of the each episode. Uh, I really kind of miss that, and I do judge other things by that standard. And yeah, Victoria seems pr- kind of flat to me.
1: Didn't Julian do the movie The Young Victoria with Emily Blunt? Mm-hmm. So I quite like that movie, um, and I like the love story. So it is, are they not getting there on the show? I haven't been watching it. They're
2: getting to the love story. He has, Albert hasn't showed up. He just showed up at the end of the last episode. So, um, and rumor has it, the two actors that play Victoria and Albert are dating in real life. So expect Sparks.
0: That might help.
2: (laughs) It needs something for sure.
0: Listen, Rufus Sewell is pretty hot. I have been like a little down on him because he's in Man in the High Castle and that show just creeps me the fuck out. But seeing him in Victoria, I have new appreciation for him.
2: I'm hopeful. I think it's going to come around, um, you know, definitely it could use some humor. Brandy, I could speak for you. You're going to have that (laughs) note.
1: (laughs) My perpetual note, Mm -hmm. yes.
2: But the costumes are great. Lots of sparkly headbands. There's an adorable dog. So there's enough for me to keep watching, for sure. Fun fact. The dog that plays Dash in uh, PBS's Victoria was also Dash in the young Victoria, the movie.
0: <laughs> really? That's an old dog. He's been typecast.
2: And it, it is officially rumored that Julian Fellows is writing the Downton movie. It hasn't been greenlit, but he's writing it. So.
1: Well, Julian's very prolific. I'm not worried about a script. I'm worried about actually being able to get the gang back together.
0: Also in the Dan Stevens IMDb watch, he has a new show premiering called Legion, which is one of part of the X-Men family. So this is a regular TV show follow, following in the footsteps of his beloved Mary.
1: It premieres on February 8th on FX. The commercials look decent. One of the creators is Noah Hawley, who also has done the absolutely brilliant Fargo on TV. So um He's just one of a slew of people working on it but that gives me a lot of hope that it will be very smart writing because I think he's like one of the best TV writers working today.
0: Well I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be cool. I wish Dan Stevens the best. You know that.
1: Well
2: I you know we're still waiting for Beauty and the Beast to come out. I, I mean I feel like I've been waiting you know ten years for this movie to come out. I think it comes out in March but...
0: It
1: does. The days are short. Don't oh worry. God. <laughs> Are we ever going to see this goddamn movie? So also happening this week is the season finale of the second season of crazy ex-girlfriend, which we noted, uh, has already been, uh, renewed for season three, which is great news. Even though this season it has been consistently the lowest rated show on primetime, primetime network TV, uh, which is great. Props to the people at the CW who believe in the show. And, uh, I anecdotally, it seems like it's doing very well on Netflix. I definitely see a lot of people um, saying that they are discovering it via Netflix. But we talked about this show when it was only about four or five episodes into the first season. We were all pretty into it. And now I feel like it is just getting stronger and stronger. Which is not something that you often say about a show in its second season, which typically tends to be weaker than a first season. Uh, so what do you guys feel as we're going into the, the season finale this week?
2: Well, I think that, you know, you can really test the show's caliber and network show's caliber based on if I'm still watching it because I don't continue with 99.9% of network shows because it's too many episodes and I love this show and it gets better with every episode. I think they just really shouldn't have done that title because I know so many people that just don't
1: want to watch it because they just can't get over the title. It's just really weird to me to care that much about a title, but whatever.
0: Well, I get it, though. It's nuanced. You could do a whole, like, Gender Studies 101 on that title. But um, I agree with Shannon. I think the title has been a little off-putting, but I also think that its appearance on Netflix has really introduced it to a lot of new people. If my Facebook feed has any... (laughs) anything to say about it yeah maybe I
1: haven't I haven't seen the breakdown of demographics other than just the numbers which are you know it's like less than a million people per per week which is really low uh but yeah I mean it's definitely like a shining jewel compared to the rest of their slate which I I quite like a lot of their shows but as far as like appealing to non-comic book people Yeah. yeah I mean they basically got Jane the Virgin and and this Um, which I thought, I thought separating them out and not airing them on the same night anymore was a big mistake. So let's give Crazy Ex-Girlfriend some credit there. Like they've been airing on Fridays, which, uh, does explain some of the low numbers. Um, but I also think to your point, Shannon, about the episode count, one of the reasons this season has been so strong, season one was 18 episodes. This one was only 13. And I feel like that was smart. Like it's the, it's had a really solid arc. Almost all of the songs have been great Uh, and I just really would like them to have time to regenerate for season three rather than just pushing through another nine episodes.
2: Less episodes equals a better season for pretty much every show. And, you know, I think a lot of the audience for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend isn't watching TV conventionally. Um, I know, I know people that watch it illegally and, you know, so I don't know if their ratings are capturing how many people are actually watching it.
0: But why are they watching them illegally? You can watch it for free on CW's website, cwtv.com. That's how I watch it every week. It's free. It's available to anyone.
2: I, maybe they are. I just know they're not, they don't have a TV. So, <laughs> well,
1: let's talk about some of the things we loved about this season. I think uh, a lot of the storylines served to really deepen the characters that they have, and I was worried about the departure of Greg, which was really because of. You know, the actors' conflicts with stuff he had signed up for when the show seemed like it was going to be canceled. But I feel like it hasn't been to the detriment of the show because there's just so many side characters that they've had some room to really explore without having the love triangle be the basis of every single episode. Uh, So what do you guys think about the storytelling this season?
2: But I think it says a lot that when she went to the Golden Globes, Rachel Bloom had the entire cast, their faces painted on her nails. And I think that says a lot because you just felt that the writers value every character, even the ones in the office. Everyone has gotten time for character development. They get, they get the opportunity for a joke. And it just it's become truly an ensemble show in a way that season one wasn't. And I love it. I I mean, Valencia has become my favorite character, and I'm absolutely shocked. But damn, that girl is funny. And her and Rachel coming together, I mean, the whole thing about them stalking Josh's new girlfriend at her eyebrow bar was hilarious. And then she's like, oh, no, it's the goal weight, which I usually hate jokes like that. But it was so Valencia, (laughs) and it was so funny.
0: I love Valencia's rehabilitation. I mean, in the first season, she was good and she was a sort of foil, but she was really the villain and they didn't give her a lot of space to do anything else but be a horrible person. And this season, first of all, just making her character a little more complicated and making her much more sympathetic. And the fact that they created this friendship between Rebecca and Valencia was a really nice touch, and that kind of goes towards, um, you know, sort of the her girl group, you know, um, and celebrating girlfriends and um, sisters before misters and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so that's cool. And I also want to give a little shout-out, speaking of the cast, to uh, an actress named Esther Pavitsky, who plays Maya the intern. Oh, my God, I love her. Maya the millennial. <laughs> she is just great. Like, every scene she's in, she's just... Wonderful, and in the most recent episode where she keeps copping for um, farting. I pooped
2: in this room. I pooped in this enclosed room. (laughs) So funny.
0: Not
1: usually always the kind of joke that I would be laughing that hard at, but the delivery.
2: (laughs) Her and Daryl doing that dance to get into the girl group night was one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. And then when they do it at the office and this guy, this one guy in the office is like, everyone's going to be doing this dance and it's so bad It's just like this show is made for dorks and I am a dork and I was a dork growing up big time and I just, it's just totally for overachieving dorks. And like when she's like, I read the whole Hunger Games book just so I could make this joke when she walks into Paula's kitchen. It's like, I love that. I feel like I've never seen such an overachiever dork comedy
0: when she volunteers this tribute that was great yeah,
2: yeah. Like, i read the whole book last night just to prepare for this there's so many great throwaway lines that you're like that is golden uh
0: well i think that um rachel bloom is a massive dork so i think this show really reflects her own character her own life which is awesome okay and let's talk about paula Donald
1: and champlin is just masterful with this character um and to see her life built out, you know, the, in season one, she was a great character, and all their scenes of sort of like, you know, going on these misadventures and her being the sidekick were really great. But then she just sort of had her dopey husband and blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of the other stuff was pretty conventional. And then all of a sudden, she's going back to school. She's having problems with her marriage. She's the whole abortion storyline, which was just really well handled. Um, and well acted. Uh, I mean, this character is one of the best characters on TV.
0: Yeah, she was great. And I, I, lo- I love the the storyline involving Paula um, and uh, getting an abortion. Spoiler. Um, was another one of those really well handled abortion storylines that it wasn't tragic. It wasn't melodramatic. It was a decision. It was a decision she had to make. It was a rough going. But I think mostly because she couldn't tell her best friend about it. And I think that was the hardest part of it, that she wasn't able to share what she was going through, you know, with her best friend.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they had the character sort of assume like, oh, I'm married, I'm pregnant, I guess we're going to have another kid, even though she was freaking out about it. Um, So it was was interesting that they chose to go that way, and it was a really nice way to actually be able to develop her husband's character a little bit more, as he sort of let her figure things out for herself while still, uh, you know, pointing out that there were other options around. I don't know. It was very delicately handled. I
0: I think we should talk about the fact that Donna does not look like a typical um, TV star. She's a larger woman. Um, She actually, they've made her, they've styled her more pretty somehow. She looks less matronly and more pretty yeah
2: they started doing it when nathaniel um came into the office (laughs) i noticed no because i noticed it i was like oh they they're doing her hair more
0: rebecca bunch is also not a skinny woman she is you know twice Mm -hmm. the size of a typical hyper skinny well like valencia for example and um it's never really an issue. Like, other people talk about it. Like, the, the let's have intercourse song between her mm-hmm. and Nathaniel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, where he just keeps negging her about her weight. And it's really funny, but it's never really, the joke is never really on her. She's also generally dressed in pretty unflattering clothing.
1: It was so funny to me on the episode when they introduced Nathaniel that she spent probably half the episode wearing her like outfit to go to the water oh my god amazing (laughs) all around the office I mean (laughs) uh I love it I love that they have the ongoing jokes that let you know that like okay objectively like Rachel Bloom is an attractive woman and she like they have the great jokes about her amazing rack Uh and yet she consistently has said like three times like yeah uh, they're just sacks of yellow fat (laughs)
2: The wind blows open the window and, like, blows open her top, was so funny. And I was like, oh, God, your breasts are beautiful. I mean, they're just – they are objectively great breasts.
1: Yeah, and the ongoing jokes about Valencia having, like, body image issues where they'll sort of trail off as Rebecca is lecturing her, like, okay, we really need to talk about your issues because you're actually very skinny. Um, I think – it it's, it's amazing how much they can uh, comment on that kind of stuff without being heavy-handed about it and just have it be like, yep, it's part of life. Women are judged on their looks. Uh, but let's move on to something more important.
2: Exactly. Well, and compared to when we talk about La La Land, I was just extremely distracted by how skinny Emma Stone is. It's just scary. She specifically lost a lot of weight. If you look at her in Superbad, like, I don't know. Like this
1: is what you have to do to get an Oscar. That's scary. The pressure, the pressure is not cool.
0: <laughs> we have a new character this season, Nathaniel, who is the new owner of the law firm.
1: Yeah. Speaking of body image
0: issues, <laughs> right? Exactly. You know,
1: it's interesting to see them. You know, uh, bringing that in for a male character, the real like pressure that he feels to be the perfect man from his father um at first I was like who is this guy like and the song that they did completely uh was exactly what I was thinking like is this guy gonna be around for more than an episode or two yeah I thought that was like really genius fourth wall breaking there um but I'm he's growing on me I like him a lot I don't know I like him a
2: lot and the sayings that he says about his dad his dad's sayings, are so funny. Like, some writer is really working out some shit they have with their father through this, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, he's definitely not your typical douche. I think they're doing a really good job of building in layers to him.
0: I like the way that's going. I don't feel much of a sizzle between him and Rebecca, though. I may be in the minority, but I have never felt that thing.
1: I think there's more there than between her and Josh, Agreed. <laughs> Who I absolutely love Josh's character and that actor is so freaking hilarious. But I mean, I'm hoping that there's no wedding this week.
0: Right. There can't be a wedding. How can there be a wedding? Do we, we think Greg is going to show up at the last minute like he tried to do in uh, LA? I
1: don't know. I don't miss Greg and I was pretty firmly team Greg and I just don't miss him. I don't know. I don't know if there's just they're just doing a good job of filling in the, the gap, so I really don't think about it very often. But it would be weird for him not to show up at his best friend's wedding, right?
0: Exactly. And, and I'll admit that I really liked the way the season was going where they were focusing a lot more on Rebecca and her girlfriends.
1: Yeah. And there were, there were a few episodes where they were starting to be lost. Like, Heather's barely been on it for the last couple episodes. So I was glad they got pulled back into the wedding planning. And of course, Valencia handing over her planning book was surprisingly <laughs> touching. I am I'm all for Valencia's new career as an event planner, which I assume is coming. Like That scene combined with earlier her being like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm like, here it is.
0: That was also really smart, like focusing on not the fact that she wished she was still with Josh, but just that, you know, she had her life planned out. And then when that changed, she was, she got lost.
2: Yeah, she's literally saying, no, I realized this man wasn't going to make me happy. But instead of just finding another man, she's like, I need to find out what makes me happy. And you hardly ever see women saying that.
0: Yeah, like, I need a new job. I need a new career. (laughs) I need something to be Mm -hmm. excited about that isn't some guy. And
2: I love that. There's so much diversity on the show. Like, you know, Donna's new friend at law school is oh. not who you would expect. Sunil. <laughs> I love him. He's the best. best. Love him.
0: He's really and the And he's best. so
2: great. And it's like, they really take every opportunity to increase the diversity. Except for Nathaniel. That's like the only white guy that they've added to the show.
1: Yeah. But it's to comment on a certain kind of white (laughs) masculinity exactly so every time I watch the show I just think like there no other shows have any excuse really and particularly when shows from Shonda Rhimes have been on the air for you know more than a decade now like every time a new show comes on if the cast is all white or just has one token minority like there's just no excuse for that anymore you can do a drama you can do a comedy you can do a friggin musical with a very diverse cast.
0: As a, as a segue to our next conversation, let's just talk about one specific musical number in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is the new theme song for season two. And apparently they're gonna change the theme song every season to reflect what's going on in Rebecca's head. And so this one is this kind of buzzbee Berkeley song. But the thing I love most about this is that at the very end, uh, her head pops through a photo of Josh. <laughs> And she yells Blam and the camera holds on her smiling face for way too long. It's so uncomfortable until it finally goes to the title of the show.
1: It's perfect timing. It is so funny. Yep. I love it too. Therese. Like, <laughs> uh is this is this gonna end? And then just at the moment when you're like, what's happening? It goes bam!
0: And <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> I mean, they're they're, they're so... The detail, the
1: level of detail.
0: Yeah, they're such masters of of what they're doing. I, I just feel like this is so difficult to pull off every week. It's a musical, sort of romantic comedy. The level of difficulty in this is huge, and they just... They just nail it. They just so understand what their show is about.
1: I think that's why well, I mentioned before it doesn't arrow Jane the Virgin anymore, but I really wish it did because I think that there are two shows that are just shocking how good they are at what they do, which is unlike anything else on TV. And to maintain a perfect tone is so hard. And they do it every week and make it look easy.
0: We love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and... Um you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a massive uh, musical theater nerd. And uh, so I was so excited that there was a film coming out that was going to be a contemporary musical. uh, And I went to see it. And man, I just didn't really like it. Uh, The film is called La La Land.
1: We're jumping on a little bit of a backlash bandwagon. um, But I know a lot of people who are still really defending the movie, and I think it wouldn't bother me if it hadn't just been nominated for so many Oscars and be winning so many other awards when I just feel like this is not... Even regardless of how I feel about the actual craft of the movie, which some things are good and some things are not for me, uh, it's not a story that is really needing to be told in today's uh, political climate, social, cultural world. Like, I just... I don't understand the relevance of the storytelling.
2: It's really important, white girls that want to be actresses. Their dreams are really important. You know, it's this is way more important than, you know, a black man growing up in poverty and struggling with his sexuality. You know, it's just more important to go from being a barista to being at a movie.
1: Shannon's vote is for Moonlight for Best Picture, in case you can't tell. Um, I don't. I don't even want to say that the stories of artists aren't important because I think, like as as a writer, that's something I've been struggling with since the election. Is um, still feeling motivated to tell stories when everything is on fire, um, and so I don't want to say that music or acting or any kind of art isn't important. But I don't know that the movie actually lets you feel why she wants to be an actress what she really gets out of it um we get a little bit more of that with him mansplaining his jazz love but I I, I didn't feel it the way that I felt for example like another, a very similarly plotted but massively different in tone musical the last five years is also about you know Anna Kendrick playing a woman who wants to be a, a a stage actress. And I, I felt her need for that so much more in that movie than I did in this one. So I, I guess there was just something lacking in the depth of the story for for me on that level.
0: You know, I, I one reason that I am so down on this movie is frankly because it's so popular and so laden with nominations and awards and somehow is being talked about like the best musical that ever existed. And uh, if this was a little movie that, you know, people didn't really know about, I would say, yeah, it was okay, you know, but um, it's not, it's not a good musical, you guys.
1: It's not the music is not good. It's not interesting. I think some of the songs are extremely catchy, like I definitely was humming them for a few days. The spectacle of it, I think people got caught up in like the color, um, it's particularly like the opening scene is kind of like, oh, this is pretty cool. And, but then I went back and watched it again, and I was like, you know what, none of the dancing that the people are doing is particularly impressive, and I'm not floored. By the fact that you did this in one long take, because I would rather see really good choreography that maybe people can't do uh, without messing up for 10 straight minutes or however long it is.
0: It was three, three different shots that were pieced together seamlessly. Really? Yeah. Yep. Really. So, so you don't even get
1: that. Yeah. I just feel like it wasn't like a sequence like that should be made for your audience. It shouldn't be made to like, you know, show off for maybe your uh, cinematography professor that once gave you a B, you know <laughs> um, and but a lot of people really loved it, so I mean, you know, I'm just hard to please but I feel like he keeps comparing himself to like old MGM musicals and I grew up watching those, you know and, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time at my grandma's, I've seen every like Esther Williams movie that was ever made and it's just not the same level of skill, it's just not and then he tries to say, well that was on purpose because I want it to seem like real people just bursting into song but then your production design goes exactly against all of that because it doesn't look like real la so i'm it was just muddled to me i
0: actually was really hoping shannon that you liked the movie a lot so we could have a good debate <laughs> about it <laughs> but i, I just want to say in defense of the score i i like the music i thought the music was good i just don't like the execution and i also don't really like Damien Chazelle going on chat show after chat show, talking about the golden age of musicals and how everyone hates musicals so much now, but now he's made a musical and he's really glad people like it.
1: I'll give him that most of the musicals that have been hit movies in the recent years were adaptations of something that was already on the stage. So it is cool that it's an original movie. Um, But, you know, the people who are watching this now, if you're 20-something watching this, you grew up on High School Musical, on Glee. Uh, I mean, the whole country's obsessed with Hamilton. Uh, There's a bunch of movies that have made over $100 million in just the past few years. I mean, people were getting Oscar nominations for Into the Woods just a couple years ago. It's not new. It's not new.
0: (laughs) If you have grown up with Disney musicals, Um, from Little Mermaid and Lion King onwards, those are all musicals.
2: Well, and the music in Moana is way better. I mean, the music in Moana is really, really good. And this was like, I I feel like this felt like something anybody can make up. And Emma Stone is just atrocious as a singer. I mean, it makes me so sad for all these people who want to make it in musical theater who could act just as well, but they don't have the star power to get this role, but it was so disappointing every time she
0: sang. I don't think either of them have have a voice and making them seem more authentic is like saying, I hate movie musicals and I hate all that talent. I mean, that talent is just so showy and it just annoys me. But let's just find people who can't sing that well. and that'll be more real
1: it's weird to me too because um i recently watched damien chazelle's very first movie guy and madeline on a park bench which i didn't particularly love it's kind of like a black and white you know mumblecore musical kind of a thing those are weird words to put next to each other mumblecore musical (laughs) It, it that's what it is it's like up in people's faces a lot of muttering there's not a whole lot of plot but you know um But it did what he said he wanted to do with La La Land, which really feels like just people bursting into song. It's like set around like he's following people around like regular Boston streets with a 16 millimeter camera. Um, And whether or not that's your jam, it wasn't really mine, but I could see like, okay, you set out to do a certain thing and you succeeded. Um, So I'm not sure why he would still be saying that's what he's trying to do. While saying that he also wants to make an mGM musical, it's just it's just weird and I wish he had gone all out and just made a huge spectacle because you know i I loved whiplash, so I'm not saying that he's not talented. I think he's very talented, and it's disappointing that you know he didn't cast people who could really fucking sing and dance. I'll just never understand that decision. I really kept thinking about Anne Hathaway winning the Oscar for Les Mis, which
2: I completely supported because A, she could sing, and she did so much with I Dream a Dream. It was just amazing acting, even though the rest of that movie was, you know, terrible. But that scene and her singing it was so good. And it's like, you can do this. You can have an actor with a lot of star power who can also sing and I feel like they were just cast because they have great chemistry and great charm which was wonderful but it made the musical part of it feel really flat and lame
1: yeah they're both very charming like I would watch them together in another rom-com in a heartbeat and in general I like both of them even though Emma Stone's career choices puzzle me after watching Hidden Figures, I was like, what if Janelle Monáe had played that part? And I don't think I'm the, I don't think I'm the only one who's floated her as an example of someone who would have been just like really fucking dynamic in something like La La Land. But I think it would have been a far more interesting choice to go with someone like her.
2: He had all these people of color. Well, no Latinos, um, you know, but they're in the background and they don't talk. And they would literally put a spotlight on the white people who were talking. I mean, it was just like he tried to do diversity, but he didn't get it at all. And it just, it made, it just reinforced the power structures and it was very strange. Okay, I know I'm being really hard on Lola Land and I know, Brandy, you didn't like the dancing, but they did do a Viennese waltz twice and their footwork looked good. So I will, they did actually work on learning Viennese waltz, which is one of the hardest ones to learn. So There
1: was a lot of Emma Stone sort of lightly running As if that was dancing. (laughs) There was a lot of that. (laughs) uh, It just didn't work for me. And, uh, you know, if we're alt-casting it, I kept thinking about the um, extremely intricate tap number that Channing Tatum does in Hail Caesar. (laughs) And thinking like, uh, you know, I just had a grin plastered across my face watching that. And I wanted that feeling.
0: That was so good. That's the feeling
1: I always want from a musical. I just want to be like, Oh, did you really do that just now? <laughs> um, I don't, I don't want it to sound like you know a dude at karaoke. So maybe La La Land didn't give us everything we personally like out of a musical, uh, and maybe we're hoping that some other movies win the big awards. But <laughs> let's talk about what does do it for us in a musical. Like, what are our favorites? Just to close, close it out today. Well, one of my
2: all-time favorites, which is an old classic, is West Side Story. It's pretty darn perfect, the movie version.
1: I know you also love Moulin Rouge, Shannon. Well,
2: I was going to say it in my own time, Brandy, but of course I love Moulin Rouge. (laughs) Yes, I was a theater kid when Moulin Rouge came out, and I loved it. And I think I was expecting La La Land to be kind of like Moulin Rouge. I feel like they could really sing in Moulin Rouge, and I loved all the song mashups,
1: and uh, I, it's lame, but I love it. I, I like it, too. Ewan McGregor should do some more musicals. Like, I love it when he just belts it out. Like, yeah. Isn't that why we watch musicals, is to, like, really, like, get those feelings out? Like, that's the beauty of a musical, right? Like, the characters are just belting out feelings that would otherwise maybe be, like, subtext. <laughs> so... Go for it, if that's what you're going to do, right?
2: This is also how I feel about Celine Dion, is she can just belt it and get these feelings out, where I sound more like Emma Stone when I sing. And it's like, to really be able to just have that kind of volume and power to your voice, it must be so cathartic. I'm so jealous.
1: Well, let's not forget that the power of Celine Dion is one of the things that got Titanic, It's fourteen. Oscar nominations to Ty La La Land. Great
0: point. Wait, what was the other movie that got 14 Oscar nominations? All About Eve, which is maybe
1: like my favorite movie of all time. Like it's definitely top five. I
0: mean, I have so many movie musicals that I love, but a lot of them are adaptations of stage plays. So I was trying to think about what are original movie musicals written for the screen that I really like. And um, one of the things I thought about was actually Team America, World Police, (laughs) (laughs) as well as, you know, South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut, and not just because they sing Blame Canada. But, uh, you know, there's a reason the Book of Mormon is still an incredible hit on Broadway. Those guys are good songwriters. And um, I just really enjoyed those as musicals. And then the the other thing that I remember being really important when I was a kid was fame, the movie fame right so fame is a lot of fun it's a lot of fun it makes you want to be a theater kid or a dance kid or a drama kid um so much yeah um
1: oh well going off of you bringing up south park which is such a fun example um you know i'll just tie it back with the same point i always make which is more humor right like songs are great for that as well like Feelings and humor, and um, I'll just mention the obvious example, especially with the recent passing of Debbie Reynolds, Singing in the Rain does all of that. It goes from a song where literally the only purpose is to make you laugh, to like, you know, the the love ballads in that one really kind of make City of Stars look... Very lame. <laughs> well, also, the producers,
2: you know, that's a, a hilarious one. I mean, Springtime for Hitler. Oh, yeah. Can only
1: be a comedy, <laughs> that song.
0: You know, I love White Christmas. I watch it every single Christmas I day. I love White
1: Christmas, which again goes from like delicate little songs like Snow or like, you know, again, Emma Stone wishes she could dance like Vera Ellen dances in that movie. Two like sisters is one of the funniest scenes in a musical ever I think
0: I love that song I can sing that song to you by heart right now
1: yes and that's an original for the screen musical right like
0: yeah Irving Berlin I mean I also on my list I had Enchanted do you remember Enchanted with Amy Adams it's a delightful movie. Delightful. Yes. And apparently there's a sequel coming out called Disenchanted that I just found out. <laughs> Doing a little research for this. Is it her again? Yeah. Oh, just, it's a great musical. It's got an edge to it. It's got humor. Amy Adams is delightful.
1: Um, I, I will say I am really also looking forward to whatever they're going to do with this Mary Poppins with Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, because Mary Poppins is one of my very favorite movies of all time, too.
2: Definitely Mary Poppins. I also love The Sound of Music. That movie is really good. It
1: is. It is one of those ones. I think that one and The Wizard of Oz are ones where I kind of take it for granted. And then every time I see it, I'm like, damn, you know, like they went all fucking out with this.
0: Sound of Music I saw at a sing-along in, in like an outdoor screening where everyone was singing along on screen. And when you show that movie to a very large group of drunken adults, it takes on a whole new meaning. I mean, it's brilliant. It's just brilliant.
2: Well, and Julie Andrews was such an amazing actress. She
0: could sing
2: and she could act.
0: And Christopher Plummer was hot.
1: <laughs> True. True statement. True statement. Yeah. And Eleanor
0: Parker as Baroness Von Schrader. I mean... Have you read the
1: McSweeney's piece yeah. from her point of view? It's <laughs> like making her the heroine. Yes. It is so funny and true. Like the older you get, the more you side with the Baroness. Yeah, it's so good. Okay, so Tracy, you're the one who sees a lot of live action on stage musicals living in New York City. How do you feel about the trend of the like such and such live on TV?
0: You know what? I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of them. The only one I saw was the sort of maybe last hour of Grease Live. um, And I thought it was really good, like really good. Um, Really fun. I mean, I really like Grease as a musical anyway. Um, I thought it was well cast, as opposed to, like, Sound of Music was apparently, the casting was just weird and off.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I haven't watched them all, but, like, as a thing that people are doing, I think it's super fun, Um, and particularly with Grease and then with the Rocky Horror Show, I thought it was nice that they took the opportunity to diversify the casting, Um, which I think they could do a lot more of, uh, but even just you know, the few people that they've that they've put in there that are much more diverse than the movie versions uh, was really fun to see.
0: Totally. And I will say that I did just recently become a woman and see Hamilton on stage. (laughs) (laughs) That was a big milestone. Someday. Someday it'll happen for us. It's a great show to see live because the staging is just fantastic, which even if you've completely memorized the cast album, you still don't have a sense of what it looks like in three dimensions. And it's really inventive. But I do see a lot of uh, live musicals. And uh, I think that a lot of times the best film musicals that are based on stage productions bring something new. To the film, like Cabaret, for example, is one of my very favorites, and they're very different, the two versions. Um, so I'm always looking for things like that. Fiddler on the Roof also brought a lot to the screen version. Um, we've talked about Sound of Music, um, Hedwig, which is on your list, too, Brandi. Oh, I love Hedwig. So, um, despite uh Damien Chazelle's uh, assertion that nobody likes musicals and nobody's making musicals. That's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird
1: because there's a lot. Damien. I think he's just a little not in touch with reality. I mean, he also is speaking as if it's weird that it took a few years to get financing for the movie or, and like other people are talking about it as if it's his long-standing labor of love. The guy is 32 years old. <laughs> like, I don't know. the 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 dialogue and conversation around the movie are very strange to me but i think i would have liked it so much more without the hype unfortunately
2: well i this is a guy who loves jazz (laughs) and is trying to get everyone to love jazz so you can't really call him in touch i
1: i loved jazz a lot more when it was depicted through whiplash through a character who was borderline unhinged
0: so i don't know so, we would love to hear what your favorite musicals are on stage or on screen and what you thought of La La Land. So, you can tweet with us at Downton Gabby. Uh, we're on Facebook at Downton Gabby. Just search for those words and on Tumblr at downtongabby.tumblr.com. Uh, we will see you again next month. Thanks for listening. And, should we go out with a song?
1: I'm Jessica. In
2: love, I can't be held responsible for my actions. So I
1: have no underlying issues to address. I'm certifiably cute and adorably obsessed. They say love makes you crazy, therefore you can't call her crazy. But
2: when you
0: call her crazy, you're just calling her in love. Blam! I've never been. In love before, I thought my heart was
2: safe. I
0: thought I knew the score,
1: and this is why that's
0: uh, okay.
2: strange. And I think strange.
1: they've had enough.
0: <laughs> I'm so happy right now. <laughs>